Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. And in this episode, I am speaking with Kira Dent. There are two sides to every coin. There are two sides to every equation. Which side do you want to be on? What side do you want to become? And then change those rules for success for yourself. Change the rules for you to be happy and to win. So that way you can do it more often because that motivation and momentum will propel you far greater than beating yourself up every single day, feeling like you're not doing enough. I had a therapist give me one of my favorite quotes and it's, goals are stars to guide by, not sticks to beat ourselves with. And I just feel like have that gentleness, have that kindness, like think about it. You're not going to ever win if you're beating yourself up all day long. Like no child would ever be that way. No employee would ever be that way. And I thought about that. Like if I was working for someone else as like today, I work for myself. If some boss treated me this way, would I keep working there? And if you can't say yes, you're doing it wrong and you're making it harder than it needs to be. And this is a bit of a different episode. Um, she's been on the podcast before in episode 213. And that episode's titled Kira Dent, the Dental A-Team. And in there, we discuss what you think we would discuss, which is having a plan for your cash flow, for your business strategy and marketing. Uh, we talk about what system should you create during the pandemic or if you have free time. So that's, that's a great episode. And I'll put a link to that episode if you want to listen to it in the show notes below. But in this one, in this episode... We talk about the hard truth and the journey from being a $500,000 practice to a $2.4 million practice in just nine months, not even a year. And it sounds nice. And boy, would that be awesome to get there as quickly as possible. But what do you have to give up? What sacrifices must be made? And would she recommend this? So we get more personal with Kira and she opens up and tells us why she puts so much pressure on herself like uh, many of us do, and was it necessary? When does she hit a burnout wall, and how does she get out of the darkest situations of her life as she was scaling this practice? And maybe a lot of us can relate to this. So we discussed that and so much more. She talks to us about how she overcame this and the healthy things that she's doing now to to make sure she's on the right path and, and the needle still moving in the practices that she uh, oversees. So guys, without further delay, here is Kira Dent. Kira, how's it going? Hey, Michael, I'm doing so well. How are you doing? I'm so excited to see you in person so soon. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait. <laughs> I know that's going to come up pretty, pretty quick. You're speaking there, right? I am speaking there. Yeah, I'm really excited. We're doing what separates the multimillionaires from the status quo of dental practices. So it'll be a fun topic, give them some nitty gritty, uh, but just excited to rub shoulders and meet people and, and have a good time. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And so for the listeners listening, Kira has been on. She was on episode 213 titled The Dental A-Team. How old is The Dental A-Team now? Almost six years old. It'll be six years old this month. So it's kind of surreal to think about it, you know, setting it up and just making a business and titling it. I mean, it's changed names about four times since <laughs> I've owned it, but at the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, six years old this month. Wow. So what? How did that come into fruition? Why did you create that? You know, it's actually, uh, I had started a practice and I had helped one of the dental students. I had kind of been every position of the practice. And then she asked me to come out and help her start her practice. So I was a part owner of that. We took it from 500,000 to 2.4 million in nine months. 
and opened a second location. And then we have now had over uh, seven locations. And I just realized I was burnt out. My marriage was in shambles. I was about to get divorced. I was not healthy. I was going back and forth. And so I had to uh, sell my portion of those businesses. And coming home, I felt like I didn't have a purpose. I was like, what am I going to do with myself now? Like I got offered a job to be an office manager, getting paid 150000 working th- two and a half days a week. It was going to be like crossing over and seeing it. And I just, I felt, I felt like I didn't have a purpose anymore. The practices that I had built, the teams that I had built, um, my marriage is in shambles. I was in shambles. And I feel like oftentimes businesses and things that define us and create us are often made on those hardship times. And so I decided, well, if I could help this one student do it, maybe I can actually help other people. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start a consulting company. I've never been a consultant. Um, I've, I've never worked with a consultant. I don't even know what consultants are supposed to do but I'm going to just go and do what I wish I would have known starting the practices. So I went and helped a friend and said, Hey, I'm just going to like test this on you. So I paid my way there. He didn't pay me at all. I was there for three days and we were able to add 75,000 to his books in three days um, and just radically improve his practice. And that I realized, okay, we're onto something. And it was all done with easy things. It wasn't hard things. It wasn't something crazy, but it was just an outsider coming in to be able to look at this and give ideas that I've known have worked. And so that's how it started. I wanted to help all those dental students I had worked with in Arizona and just be a way to positively impact the world of dentistry and help the best dental offices become even better and um, help those great dentists really run awesome practices, have awesome teams. So that's kind of where it started, Michael. Man, so you, rewind a little bit, you turned a practice from 500,000 a year, right? to mm-hmm. 2.4 million in a year? In nine months. In nine months. Break it down to me. How did that, what, what were the, the things you did? I feel like so many people want to be that. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, Kira, like 500,000 to 2.4 million, nine months, and you bought a second practice. And I'm like, yeah, I did. But did you hear the other side of it? Because yeah, everybody yeah. says that, right? We all want that with success. And I think this is actually a real fun podcast, Michael, to just kind of rift on it of what I was doing personally was I was waking up at 2 a.m. and going to bed at 10 p.m. So that's like one point. Uh, the other point I think that we did well, we were in a five op practice. So a lot of people think like, oh, they must have this huge one. And I'm like, no, literally within my first 90 days, we bought a practice. It was a sleeping practice, if you will. So it was an older practice. The doctor was retiring. So we bought that practice. And then no joke, our building was going to be torn down and another business, another dental office was going to be built there. So within 90 days, I had to move a 2,500 patient base to another location that other location I had to build out. So me and the doctor were building it out, meeting with contractors, all while trying to like not have our hair on fire. And so um, I feel like a lot of the things we did right though, and this is a brand new grad straight out of school. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. She doesn't know what we're do- she's doing. We literally had a lawsuit come on us. It was crazy town. And so people always want to hear the side of success, but I'm like, oftentimes it also comes with hard times. And I think that that's why I got so excited to consult and to share what I did and what I wish I would have done differently to help other people avoid the pitfalls we had. So some of the things I felt we did really, really well were she invested in me. I was a treatment coordinator. I could sell really, really, really well. I knew the back office and I also could assist. She was a really good dentist. She knew how to do a lot of great dentistry. Um, We hired two assistants and within our first 90 days, like we did a lot 
we went to an ortho class. So that way we could have our ortho certification. And we also did an implant course with Maxi Implant. So for nine months, we were doing that. So we were able to incorporate same day crowns, ortho into our practice, and we were able to do implants. So people always wonder like, Kira, how did you do this? You were running it in five ops. And literally I had two ops of hygiene that I was running and we kept full. I think we were really smart and we were really blessed. We put our practice right on a busy street corner. We got an incredible piece of real estate. And so we got this huge neon sign. I didn't know how to make signs. I didn't know how to do it, but I think it was being scrappy. So we were getting a ton of new patients from street visibility. We added ortho implants um, really quickly into the practice doing PRF. So we added that in. So I would have two columns of hygiene. And then I had to schedule my doctor's column of surgeries. So I would try to get between 10 to 20,000 of production just in that one column. And then we were in Colorado. So I had what are called EDAs. So expanded dental assistants who could do fillings and could make temporary crowns on their own. So then I would be scheduling my second and third doctor ops as basically assistant ones. So I literally had like implant, filling, crown, all stacked at eight o'clock with two hygiene patients. So doctor would go numb, numb, numb. Doctor would then go prep, prep on the two mm-hmm. preps. Assistants would take over and we'd go in and get the implant started while other things were being taken place over there for like vitals and consents while we were doing it. So it was crazy town. I felt like we were drinking from a fire hose, but that's literally the secret of what we were doing. But I feel like you can have that much success without that much psychoticness. So that was kind of, but again, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I felt like I was playing house in a dental office. But those are some of the things that we did really quickly, really well, and then really focus on making a completely unconventional patient experience. And when I say that, I mean, like, we played Drake at 7am. So it was a very different style. I'm in downtown Denver, my doctor had a mohawk. Um, We had a very, very, very different style. But I think we made it our own experience that patients just loved. Man, so that's the, I guess, the front end of it. When when you're talking about going 500 to 2.4 million in nine months, that's a lot. It sounds really like, ooh, let's make, I'm going to hire Kira, let's make that happen. But then how many times do people not really realize like, oh man, something's got to give because you're going to be going, like you said, waking up at 2 a.m. What were you doing at 2 a.m.? Oh, okay. So at 2 a.m., that's when yeah. I was uh, looking through charts, looking through statements because I was meeting with contractors by 5, 6 a.m., So I had to get bills, statements, all of the billing, all of the making sure my charts were prepped and ready to go because I wasn't finishing with patients until usually six, seven, eight o'clock at night. And then at that time, I'm pretty much brain dead. So from eight to 10, I would go grab food, talk to my husband. I would go shopping if I needed to, uh, or I'd be trying to figure out charts or hiring or placing ads. And then I knew the next best thing was to wake up earlier because I just was I was struggling. I mean, I'm the butcher, the baker, the candlestick baker. (laughs) There were so many things. So yeah, that was usually my 2 a.m. was chart prepping, uh, making meeting agendas, checking our ads, responding to resumes. I mean, I probably looked like a crazy boss of, hey, 2 a.m. girl over here. Like, do you want an interview today at 7 a.m.? But uh, that was surely what I was doing. When, Kira, did you hit the wall? I hit the wall probably, gosh, it was like six, nine months in. Um, I know buying that second practice, I felt like we were on a high. I mean, you think about the timeline. We buy a practice. We are building another practice at the same time. I'm moving a patient base three months in. I'm trying to hire team members. I fired my first team member because she wasn't great. And I've told that story a few times. Like 
I think I did that. So you'd learn what never to do. I, I wasn't organized at all as an office manager or as a business owner. So like the girl I fired, I had a whole plan in play. And unfortunately, her mom passed away. Her mom had been mm-hmm. sick and she passed away literally the weekend before I'm about to fire her. So I have to fire her on her way to her mom's rosary because I have a new girl starting on that Wednesday. Like terrible things that I like looking back, it didn't have to be that way. There are so many ways I could have done that differently. So many ways practices can do that and still be fine. So that's within my first three months. Um, I also got my first lawsuit within the first three months from a patient who wasn't happy. And I was like, oh gosh, let's figure this out, which would make sense. We're cranking a million miles an hour, not knowing what the heck we're doing. So move the practice, super fun, excited, brand new building. It's amazing. So we've got a high from there, but then we're six months in. I'm trying to hire people, staff it. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm having turnover. And then by month nine, when we're like, hey, we're doing great. We've hired an associate that was terrifying and we're passing patients to them. So that way we can extend the hours, the practices open. So I feel like by month nine, looking for another practice, I felt I can't even manage and juggle what I'm doing right now. And I'm waking up 2 a.m., going to bed at 10 p.m., sleep's my superpower. I don't honestly know how I'm going to sustain and let's throw on another practice. So when we bought the next practice, my team amount went from 10 team members up to 35 team members. So I almost tripled my team member level. And I feel like that's really when I started to hit burnout. That's when I started to feel like, this is bigger than me. I don't have systems in play. I don't know what any of these people are supposed to be doing. I had a girl literally, like we bought our second practice. She literally took a Bunsen burner and lit her freaking eyebrows on fire. And I was like, I don't even know what to do with this. Am I supposed to send you in for workman's comp? Like one, how did you light your eyebrows on fire? Two, like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I became really snippy as a boss, as a spouse, as like, I just hated life. And I shared this on Ashley's podcast. Like, There was a day I literally walked out of the office. We're in downtown Denver. And I remember looking on the edge of that sidewalk thinking, all I have to do is take one step and this will be over. And I feel like that's when you like lights out, you've got to wake up and say, there's got to be a different way than what you're doing right now. And I think my boss felt it. The girl that I was in business with, it was just this psychotic high adrenaline but that adrenaline can only last for so long before your body physically starts to give. And I felt like I was just this weak person that like, why can't I handle it? Why can't I do this? But I feel like I also started to lose my why. Mm -hmm. At that point, we're just starting to make money for making money. We're trying to pay bills. We're trying to have status of having a second location within nine months. Like that's a real sexy, egotistical story to share. And I started to lose like, why are we even doing this? Like we didn't even have one child figured out. So let's throw on a second one. And think that we're going to be okay and not need more help. So I really started to think of like, who do I actually need to hire? What do I need to put into place to make this actually work and not consume me? But that slowing down feels like, especially when you've been on an adrenaline high, you feel like you're failing because now you got to slow down to be able to speed up. So it was a a good couple of years setback of just trying to get processes in play that I think in hindsight if I were ever giving anyone advice, I would never suggest you do it my way. But I think that there are so many things I learned because I did it that way that now I can help other people experience massive radical growth, but with ease and with fun and without burnout to where you're sitting on a sidewalk wondering, do you just take that next step because you don't know how to handle the life you've created? Man, yeah, that's pretty bad. Like, Kira, what was the turning point, I guess, 
sitting on the sidewalk, you're like, man, I'm just going to, was it then? But, or was it like, was it your husband? Was he talking to you and be like, hey, you're not the same anymore? Like (laughs) what, where was that turning point or what was it? I think that was definitely a wake up moment. And like you look in the mirror and you don't even know who you are anymore. I'm like, okay, nine months ago, I was excited. I was flying out here. I was living the high of having these practices. And now nine months later, I'm thinking I don't even want to be alive anymore. Like that's not a lot amount of time, but it is a lot of amount of time. So I started realizing my marriage is straight up in the toilet. Like I don't have a marriage. My husband, I don't see him ever. I have no relationship with my family whatsoever. I have no friends. Like all I do is work. And so I literally remember looking in the mirror. I was doing my hair. Of course, it's like 6 a.m. because I've got to get to the office before everybody else. Like psychoticness and just asking myself like, Kira, why are you even doing this anymore? And the time was like my big motivator was to pay off my husband's student loans. Like we were pretty far in debt. He's a pharmacist. And so that was my big motivator. But that doesn't get you far. Like that's a short term carrot because it has zero fulfillment attached to it. So it was looking to see like, I don't feel outside people told me because I'm real good at a lot of those listening. We can put on these really happy faces and pretend like everything's good, but deep inside you're just crumbling. So for me, the turning point was like, that's not an option. We need to turn this around. You need to take a step back from work. But I feel like that's also where a lot of my identity was there. And then that made me feel even worse. So it was really when I sold out of the practices, like me and me and the owner, we got to a spot where we just weren't seeing eye to eye. Her vision and my vision weren't aligning anymore. My health is going down. My marriage is going down. I'm like, it's either going to be I keep going forward on this or I need to sell out. And I think about that moment, I had a freedom out where most owners don't, right? Mm -hmm. I could sell, I could walk. But today being a full-blown business owner, I'm like, that's a very different radical experience. I can't just walk anymore from this business. What am I going to do? Call the clients and be like, hey, we're stop shop, wish you the best. Like it's a very different experience when you've got that debt riding on you, when you've got the loans writing on you. And so I'd say at that point, for me, I was able to pull back, withdraw, dumped into massive depression, had a lot of therapists. But yeah, I think, what would I have done differently? What could I have done differently? And I'm like, if I would have just said, okay, perfect, like I'm going to leave work at five. One day out of the week, I actually spend with my family and have my my phone shut off because that's what I do now, right? I've seen the flip side of it where you can actually get a lot more done on less time. You can still be a fulfilled person and have hobbies and and things that contribute to your overall happiness and fulfillment that aren't just your job and your work. Well, yes, I love to work and yes, I enjoy it. Making sure that you have more of that. But I felt like for me, it was a radical decision and it felt so counterintuitive to what I felt I really should do. So I think that it's gotta be like, realize don't get to that spot first and foremost but if you're there you've got to start making very distinct decisions like for me now it's seven o'clock phone goes off and goes on the charger and I don't look at it I have to have a shut off time otherwise I know I'll work all night long it's planning and saying to my husband hey Thursday nights are date nights and I'm dedicated to that with you it's Sundays are complete 100% no work days. And that is my day to rest, to do whatever the heck I want to do. It's not shopping. It's literally just sitting at home, being with family um, and having R&R time. It's realizing I need to work out. And so three days a week, that's my workout time in the morning and prioritizing myself so that bucket can get filled rather than feeling like I'm just constantly dumping because I was, I was giving all of myself with no time to refill. And it was actually taking me a lot longer to do simple tasks. 
that should have been a lot less time. I just was so burnt out. They were taking double, triple, quadruple the amount of time because I wasn't prioritizing anything else other than work. I was going to ask you that. Like, did you talk to anyone? But like, why did you put that much pressure on you? It's a really good question. So I took the job to one, I wanted to be a business owner. I wanted to own a practice. I thought it'd be fun. But I also told my husband I was going out there so that way I could find a way to pay off our loans quickly. And so I felt like admitting to anybody that this is harder than I thought it was, I felt like I would be a failure. And that was my own internal story that wasn't a fact that was literally driving me to my death. Like it was (laughs) this, this crazy thing. And I feel like we often get stuck in these stories that aren't real. Um, I didn't want to admit to my mom that, hey, you know, that time I decided to go out here and now it's like really, really hard. And I feel like I'm on burnout. I felt I had to be perfect. And that was my own standard. It wasn't anyone else. And I realized it was such a freaking lie that was serving nobody. And it was just destroying. And so that was the pressure and where it was coming from. I didn't want to admit to anyone I was failing. That was my greatest fear was to fail. And looking back, I'm like, gosh, if I could just see Kira on that moment and say, like, gosh, this is what I would tell you. It would be, oh, honey, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's to enjoy life. It's to find fulfillment. And at the end of the day, what are you doing all this for? If you're not here, what does it matter? Like money is only as good as the happiness it can bring us. And so am I serving my patients? Am I serving myself? Am I serving my team? Am I happy? Like, do I wake up excited to go to work and not that every day is there? But like, that's the true definition of success. I feel like uh, success without fulfillment is truly the greatest failure. But I was only searching for success and for that dollar amount and for that status story not realizing that at the end of that status story was just heartache because I had nothing else. My entire life, everything that truly mattered to me was gone. And I didn't realize how sad that would be until I got there. And I feel like that's a story so many people share. For me, I just felt like I had to keep going. (laughs) And I was like, but I can't, I don't want to. But I wasn't willing to have that grace and that space for myself that I know if I would have, it would have looked differently. Um, I'm thankful for it because I feel like that's what makes me a really freaking great coach because I'm like, I get it. I know your world. I've been in that world. I see it. And let me help you not have to go as far as I went. If one person I can help not get there, I think it's well worth it. Yeah. It's crazy how you think about it back then, how hard you were on yourself and how much pressure you put on yourself. And then now when you speak to yourself back then, you even say, oh, honey. Like mm-hmm. you're so soft on that person because you're like, why? Why would you put all that pressure on yourself to take on? Be like, oh, it's all on me. Where does that stem from, Kara? Did you feel like growing up you were like, there was a lot of that pressure on you or? Yeah, for sure. But I think also most people in dentistry are high achievers. You don't get to owning a practice or being a dentist or being a team member without some type of level of achievement. I mean, some I'm sure got the lottery and that's what your parents did or, you know, you know someone at the college. But for most people, it's it's through that hard work. Um, but for me especially, I am the second of seven kids. My parents are real smart. My older brother is really, really smart. And I just felt like I had to keep up with them. I've since done a lot of personal work and realized like where that came from. But I just felt like I had to be proving all the time to feel loved and to feel like I was worth anything. And that's such a freaking lie. But I feel like so many of us, I'm only sharing this, not because this is my story, 
But I feel like it's a continual theme of so many people. Like our greatest fear is that we're not going to be good enough. And so we oftentimes work hard for external validation when all we're really actually seeking is internal love and validation. But like that feels so weak. That feels like, oh my gosh, like great. I love myself. Like that's so weird. And so 2021, right? yeah. it's so, it feels so cliche. But I think back to like, guys, let's go back to a few years ago where people couldn't work. They didn't have the luxuries they had. Like depression wasn't a thing, really. You had to work to live. Like we didn't have washers and dryers. We didn't have Instacart that drops off groceries to it. It's like life got so easy that I almost had to make it hard for myself to feel like it was worthwhile. And so since that, it's really been a, I think an awesome, beautiful journey that I love to share with people and love to help them feel you can have that life. You can play the Kira Dent of 2015, or you can play the Kira Dent who is more profitable, more successful by dollar amounts with more time and more life and more family and more freedom with less stress. <laughs> you can choose your path and both are a reality. It just depends on, I personally think who you ultimately want to be and what standards you put in for yourself. For me, it was the definition I had of success was work hard, be up all night, wake up early. And that's what I told myself I had to do to be quote unquote successful. That was Kira's definition of success. And I made it so hard for myself to win and to feel successful that I was just constantly working to feel that. But that was Kira's internal rules. It was no one else. And what's cool is you can change those. So if now it's like, how do I feel success? Success is guys, if I freaking open my eyes and I can see like that is success because at the end of the day, if I didn't have eyes and I couldn't see, I mean, I'd probably find a way to still find success and happiness. But as of today, it's like, if I'm breathing, that's success. If I can be with friends and people that I love, that's success. And so, and that was hard, like, but that was me literally realizing and writing down on paper, not just in my head, like, what are my rules for success? And do I want to keep doing that? Or would I like to change it? Just like, what are my rules around being happy? Oh, I have to weigh a certain amount or look a certain way or have so much in my bank account to be happy. That's all junk. That's not going to actually make mm. you happy. You think it will. But if you can change it and make it easier for you to feel happiness, easier for you to feel success, you're not going to freaking fail. And that was my biggest fear. If I give myself any space and I'm not working so hard, I will fail. And that's a downright lie. My favorite office, they work four days a week. They're off work every day at three o'clock, like literally three o'clock. They produce over three million in a six op practice. And their overhead is 35%. And that is not an exaggeration. These people live the freaking dream of a life. They take two to four weeks off every single quarter. And yeah. that's their life. And so I'm like, there are two sides to every coin. There are two sides to every equation. Which side do you want to be on? What side do you want to become? And then change those rules for success for yourself. Change the rules for you to be happy and to win. So that way you can do it more often because that motivation and momentum will propel you far greater than beating yourself up every single day, feeling like you're not doing enough. I had a therapist give me one of my favorite quotes and it's, goals are stars to guide by, not sticks to beat ourselves with. And I just feel like have that gentleness, have that kindness, like think about it. You're not going to ever win if you're beating yourself up all day long. Like no child would ever be that way. No employee would ever be that way. And I thought about that, like, if I was working for someone else, as like today I work for myself, if some boss treated me this way, would I keep working there? And if you can't say yes, you're doing it wrong and you're making it harder than it needs to be, you get to decide 
but realize you're the one making the rules. You're the ones making the, the stakes and you can change it at any time and have more love, more compassion, more freedom, more success, more profit, more revenue if you want to. You just have to decide that that's what you want. Yeah. Do you ever feel like at any point when you were going through this, it was hard to change it? Because it's, it's kind of hard. I feel like especially you own a practice, you're doing all this and to just like one day wake up and be like, hey, you know what? I don't have to be this hard on myself. I'm going to drop it. But oh, snap, I'm dropping, like you said, like your identity, everything, right? Like you're, I'm changing it. Can't do that. That's not an option. Forget it. I'm going to run through this now. Mm -hmm. How hard is that? I think that that's real. Like that's real life. I mean, we're sitting here talking about I was on one side and here I am, but we don't talk about the chasm and how you cross it. You don't just wake up one day and say like, you know, today, Michael, I'm going to just be happy and not hard on myself. Oftentimes it takes something radical for us to shift. But I don't think, I mean, if I go back in time, we're talking that was 2016. Here we are six years later. That's not been a overnight transformation. I feel like it starts with little things. So like it was literally writing down my rules for success was one of the greatest gifts that I ever gave myself of realizing these are junk, literally ripping them up, throwing them away and having new ones that I have on my wall that I look at every morning of how, like, what are my rules for success? Because I had to retrain my brain. It wasn't like, today's the day, Michael, I decided I'm going to have easier success and easier happiness. Yeah, right, guys, I've got 35 years on me telling me that this is how I've got to be successful. And one podcast isn't going to change your life. But having that paper up in front of me showing me like, this is how I feel success. This is who I'm becoming helps you not lose your identity, lose your anchors, but starts to shift the way you're thinking. It starts to shift the way you're acting. Um, and then I think it's really being intentional, really being disciplined. I started with simple things such as at dinner, I'm not going to be on my phone and I'm going to be present. That was 30 minutes, which was honestly hard. And I'd usually check my phone like two or three times. And my husband was gentle and kind enough to remind me. Like I had to tell him like, here's my goal. Help me out with it. Yeah. Uh, that's where it started. It started with me realizing I don't call my siblings. So I'm going to call one of them once a month. That to me was a step in the direction of who I wanted to become. But, and then I started to feel like a schmuck. I'm like, great. Who am I? I'm not working hard anymore. And that to me, I'm like, that's just that nasty voice. Like, that's my mean girl. And I'm like, thank you for being here. You're welcome to leave now. And we move on because you're right. It's not, it's not a game of, of just instantaneous gratification. It is a practice. It's a discipline. It's a decision. And then it's just having compassion each day to be 1% better. Like James Clear says in Atomic Habits, it's not going for that radical transformation. So like clients I work with, I say, okay, guys, like let's set um, personal goals. And I've got some other clients and I love them. They decided that they wanted to have more vacations in their life. Fan-freaking-tastic. Let's block those out now because that's going to be our first step. Second step is let's figure out your production and what we need to do to cover for those weeks. And then let's build it out. We did that in January. And this last year, they went on their four weeks of vacation. Their practice has grown 20%. And they were able to like get a deck on their house and have a bunch of fun with friends. Like, those were their personal goals. It wasn't a shift of everything. It was small shifts that we put into play that we had accountability around and they were able to see they could take four weeks of vacation and grow their practice and do an expansion this year. Like that was all possible, but they started with the small step first of what they wanted that year. So I'd say, what do you want? Like what are, what's maybe like one thing? Like I ask myself often, if I could wave my magic wand, what would be like one thing I would change? 
Because to me, that's the creative space that I allow myself to go into. That's really what my heart's desire is right then. Before it was, I want to work three days a week. I want freaking Mondays and Fridays off. Like I don't want to work that. So now Mondays, Mondays are meeting days and I enjoy it because I said I wanted Mondays to be my creative business time. Well, fantastic. That is my literal, I've got three hours of meetings on Mondays and it's all about business and all about business development. That's it. That's my Monday now. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, I work, I have clients, I've got podcasts. That's when I do my things. And then Friday is my CEO charging time. And I will do whatever the heck I want to do on Fridays, whether that means I take a nap, whether that means I go shopping, whether that means I go recharge, whether that means like this week, tomorrow, I'm going to do a real estate course because I'm really intrigued by that. Yeah. But that's my life. But it didn't happen overnight. It was me saying, what do I want and what do I want to become? And then I'm going to create that and I'm going to make it easy for me to create that. It's finding more easier ways to win is where it started. But like I said, this is six years in the making. For clients, it's often six months. It's lots of coaches that I've had. I don't just create this on my own. I've had tons of coaches help me, tons of mentors around me. But I would say the number one decider is that you decide that this is where you're going to change. You decide this is the life you're going to have. And you've got to get to that broke bottom spot. Or the decision today that you're just not going to have that kind of a life and you're going to have this awesome identity and this awesome life because you are creating it and you get to decide whatever you want to have. And I would say, if you don't believe that, allow yourself the space to where that could be a possibility because it's a much different life that is available if you want it. Yeah. I love that. CEO charging time. But no, you're right. You're right. We, it's I read somewhere where it says like, we're not in prison or trapped by our, our circumstances, setbacks or mistakes. We're freed by our choices. And so it, it really matters on, you have to choose. But like you said, sometimes we don't even know the options there. Mm-hmm. Like we're just, so for example, this is like, we're talking about, oh snap, you went from 500K to 2.4 million. Nobody knows the behind the scenes of that though, right? right. Like everything it took. And so the, practice owner right now who's like, oh my gosh, I just started my own practice. I'm in million plus dollars in debt, right? Plus student loan debts, hyper-focused on just getting out and making this thrive. They're not really, would you say there some of them aren't focused or on the real important stuff? Like the behind the scenes, the, hey, what about your family? You just had a kid. Hey, you just bought a house. You just got married. Like, what about that? We're 2.5 in debt. So I got you. I feel that like <laughs> 2.5 million. Um, I told my doctor to like straighten her back because I'm like, listen, 2.5, like you got to keep that back good because we got a lot of debt. And I think there's a real reality to that. Like my husband could not sleep, guys, until we paid off those student loans. That's why we were so dedicated to paying them off. We paid them off two years after he graduated. My life was freaking living hell. You can talk to my financial advisor. He knows it's a strong pain point of mine. Of like, why are we doing this? This is psychotic. I lived in an apartment for 10 years of our 11 years of marriage. We made a lot of sacrifices to do that. So what I say is, one, be gentle and realize like you're living your freaking dream that you dreamed for so long. So like Mm -hmm. high five to that because most people don't get to live their dreams of a life and you are. So that's number one. Number two, burnout is 100% coming for you if you don't put roadblocks in the way for you of setting security around your mental stamina. So if you really do want to pay all that debt off, you're going to do it. I promise you, you will. But make sure you set up parameters. Like it's almost like in dental school, I watched the women in school who actually had babies were hyper productive and usually better students 
than those who had all the time in the world. And I was like, what is it? Like I watched, I mean, I watch them. Usually it's third year. You dental students know third year's coast year. You all know what I'm talking about. But they would literally, they would have a kid. They would be out of clinic by three or four o'clock. They would have amazing grades. They would do really well. But it was because they had finite time that they had to maximize during that time so they could go pick up their kids from daycare. Like there was no other option. Mm -hmm. It's like they burned the freaking boats and they had to figure it out. So I'd say for those new owners, fantastic. Let's set up that you're always going to have a date night once a week because that emotional ROI is great for you, great for your spouse, great for your marriage. And the worst thing that can happen to a practice is a divorce. Like bottom line, that is what destroys more practices than anything else is a divorce. So let's like put some emotional deposits in there with your kids. Same thing. So yes, you can work all night, but I would say if I was you, let's put into play emotional deposits for our spouse, for our kids and for ourselves. We've got all of them and it's kind of like quads, right? We've got our work bucket. We've got our personal bucket. We've got our spouse and family bucket. And then we have like our CEO or whatever you choose to have. For me, it's a money bucket. So I've got my work, my money, me, and my family. Those are my buckets. And making sure every single week, and I literally use different color pens and put it in my schedule where I make sure I'm putting time for Kira. So that's my workout time. That's my journal time. That's my CEO time. I put time in for work. I've got my hours for my work. I've got time for my husband. I don't have kids. So that's the zone that I don't have right now. And then I have time for where on Fridays, that's when I work on the business and do good business development time. So making sure you just build that structure and it kind of squishes your time together. So you're really intentional in the time you have. Talk to your spouse. Maybe it's like my husband. If I've got one hour date night, Thursday nights are date night. And tonight I've planned it. And we know every Thursday night is date night. That is an emotional deposit that I just had to build in into structure. I do not work late on Thursdays ever. That's just not something I allow to have happen. So yes, you can be in debt. And I want to say, yes, you can have it all. I just feel like it does take the discipline and the structure that truly can be there. But make sure you're putting those emotional deposits in things that will have long-term ROI rather than just focusing on the immediate burn. Because right now, that practice is burning you. Right now, that practice feels hot. But I will promise you, give it a couple of months of only focusing on that. And you're going to have a hot marriage, a hot family, a hot, like those will be other burning hot spots that I'd rather put the time in now. It takes an hour. It takes 15 minutes. It doesn't take a lot of time. You can have a 15 minute workout and feel really good for yourself and just feel yourself that way. It does not take hours of time. But if you're disciplined and dedicated to it, you'll have the the bandwidth to do it and to do it with ease. Nice. So kind of like block out the more important things first, right? Kind of kind of thing. And then hierarchy or like, you know what I mean? Like lower the tier and things like that on the mm-hmm. importance. Interesting. One thing you mentioned, I want to ask you, what are your rules for success? Because you said you have them, you wake up every morning, you look at it. So uh, my rules for success, I've written them down, um, but it's really, I have values on there. So if I feel every day, and these are the order that they go in, if I feel gratitude, that's number one. And this is a checklist for me. Do I feel these six things throughout my day? And if so, that was a successful day. That was a successful business. So it's gratitude, then it's queen strength, like me being really empowered to make decisions like a queen would. So you guys can giggle at me. But for me, it's like I needed to trust my inner instincts and know that the life I'm living is the one that's pure intention. So it's gratitude, queen strength, uh, health and vitality, love, playfulness, and then service. So if I can do those six things in a day, and they're very simple, gratitude, I can be thankful that I'm alive. Queen strength is I trust my intuition and I don't beat myself up for it. 
I know I made the best decision I could in the time and I move on. Um, health and vitality, am I drinking water? Am I eating healthy? Am I working out? Doesn't have to be all three of those things. It can literally be one. If I pick up a bag of celery sticks, guys, check that box. I freaking loved my body and gave myself that rather than eating the Reese's. And if I eat the Reese's, high five, let's drink some water, okay? So it's health and vitality, love. Did I show forth love to myself, to other people? Was I playful? Did I laugh? Did I have fun? Because guys, I was starting to get real stick in the mud and not being playful anymore. Like jump in the freaking swimming pool. Go say yes. Go like dance in the snow. Go giggle. Make a stupid freaking reel because you hate being on TikTok, but like jump on a couch like I did yesterday. Have something where you're playful and fun and then do something where you serve, whether that's you're serving your spouse. For me, it was serving my family, making sure I I love uh, looking for opportunities to serve people. It could be helping someone hold the door open when you walk into a restaurant. Little things. And if I have those six things in my day, it's a successful day. I like that. I want to ask you, because I kind of thought about that. When you started calling your siblings once a month from not calling them at all to now, were they like, is everything okay? Or like, (laughs) what do you want? Or how did that go? Well, I think that that's the hard thing of like when we do the right thing, you often aren't rewarded immediately. Whereas if you do the wrong thing, you are. And so we often don't give ourselves that space because it's like, guess what? If I call my my siblings after not talking to them for two years, I might not be met with immediate love, but I want to be because I freaking called you after all this time. So you should be happy. <laughs> Realizing that it's not always that instantaneous gratification. And I need to fill those love buckets that I've left depleted for a long time. So it was weird. It still is sometimes weird. I'm closer with some siblings and not as close with others. But for me, I have six siblings. Like, there's a lot of us. They're my best friends. And I thought, I want to invest in these relationships, whether they do or don't. And I need to realize that I've, I haven't been there for a long time and giving that space and grace, but continually trying and communicating with them on their level. For some, it's texting them. For some, it's calling them. For some, it's Uh, just touch and base when I do see them. Luckily, I live on the path between my parents and my siblings. So oftentimes I just see them as they come on through. If they go see my parents, I always make an effort to go down and see them and spend time with them. But those are just little intentional things. And you're right, it was super weird. They didn't know what the heck was going on. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to talk to them about. I realized like, I honestly don't even know their lives. So that was a good place. I'm like, hey, just tell me how you've been. What's new in your life? But then not expecting it to be an immediate change and being grateful for what it was, but realizing I was taking steps towards the life I wanted rather than continuing the path that I didn't want. Gotcha. Okay. That's good. Good advice for me. Like, I was just wondering, you know, myself, like, how do you just, because then they're going to reply back like, good, what's wrong? You know? And I'm like, I just want to say hi, but never mind. Nothing, nothing, man, (laughs) nothing's wrong, you know, kind of thing. But I think you can own it too, though, Michael. You can say like, hey, I've realized I haven't been around and I'm real sorry about that. And I want to change that. I understand like if that's not conducive with you, but I just want to own the fact that I know I haven't been here. I know I haven't chatted with you in a long time and I want to change that and just know how you are and know that I genuinely love you and care about you. That honestly will go so far rather than just pretending like everything's fine. Like, yeah. hey, I'm back. <laughs> I And I did have to own that as well with some of my siblings, especially that I knew I had maybe burned more bridges with than I had wished for sure. I feel like, Kira, that takes a lot more mental strength than being like, I'm going to add $50,000 more to this. You know what I mean? Because that that becomes systemized, right? But when you're doing that, owning it emotionally, uh, mentally getting in that state, it's so easy to talk yourself out of these things. 
but the thing is like, okay, I'm a driven business owner. I like to see ROI for my time. Realize that if you invest in those emotional mental pieces, you actually become a better boss. You become a better dentist. You become a better owner. You become a better leader. And so that sounds like disgusting to say this like on a podcast in front of the whole world. But the reality is, guys, like that was actually one of my motivators. Yes, I wanted that life, but I selfishly also thought like this is probably going to make me a better person too. And you guys can judge me. We all have internal and external motivators, but you're right. Like 50,000 was a lot easier for me. So I had to trick myself into saying like, Kira, this is probably going to make you a more well-rounded person. I didn't realize how much better of a boss, how much more empathetic, how much greater of a listener I would become just by doing these things personally for myself as well. So I will tell you the ROI for your business is actually there by doing these items if you're the person who needs to be tricked around it as well for you. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. And I know you speak with a lot of practices. When you're going through your, like, I guess, comprehensive consultation process and things like that, do you ever come across practices where you're like, man, this ain't for you? Like, this is, yeah, I know you just got into $2.5 million in debt, but is there a way you can like get a refund or <laughs> what do you think? The answer is yes. Um, I see some people that that's just not their life passion. And what's really, really cool about dentistry is there is always a way out. Like you can sell that practice tomorrow. There are buyers, there are new grads coming out of school. There are DSOs right now that want to swoop you up. And so I'd say like, at least give it a try. Uh, find a mentor. But like, if you don't love business, if you don't have a business intrigue where you're interested in running a business and having it profitable and managing team members, like if that doesn't even inspire you, don't become a business owner because that's part of it. Like that is the success tax you've got to pay. And so if that doesn't inspire you and if you dread going to work every day, write down what you absolutely hate and see, could you hire somebody to do that for you? Because most of the time Mm -hmm. it's management. So you might just be dreading it because you don't have a good office manager. That's fifty to 75000 for most office managers. That could radically change your life and it's not that big of an expense. So kind of looking to see what's causing that, that hate of doing it um, and then seeing, could I hire that out to somebody else? And then if you realize like you just hate running a business, you don't like the stress of it. Like my husband would never be a business owner. He does not like the stress of having to figure it out I freaking love the puzzle. It's fun for me. It's fun to grow. It's fun to give. Like, I feel like it's my creative playground. So for him, hard pass, no. Like genuinely, he would hate running a business. Even if he had a manager, he would hate it. And so for him, I'd be like, all right, let's find, let's figure out an exit plan for you and see if that makes you happier. But I'd say at least give it a year because your first six months of business ownership are rough. And I call it a six month shakeout. After that, you've met all your patients. You've got it. Things are moving. Your processes are in play it becomes a lot easier. So at least give it a year. And if after that, it's not great, then I'd say, let's come, let's possibly consider an exit plan. Hire an associate, guys. You don't have to keep being the dentist. You could hire an associate, make profit off the business and not have to do a dang thing. So there's a lot of options you can do, which I think is beautiful about dentistry. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the times when, you know, we talk to a lot of practices who are doing their startup or like they're already like five years or, or something like that, they get stuck with that dilemma where they're like, okay, I can either open a second one up or I can double down and really like make, and it feels, Kira, when they're talking about like the second option, we're like, I can double down and just do like the work I want to do. And then, you know, only work two to three times out of the week. And like, they already made it in their mind, Mm -hmm. but then they're like, or I can open up a second one. And then they kind of always lean toward the second. And then they're like, oh yeah, I ended up opening it. And then they're struggling. 
So why, why, I guess, like, let me ask you, why is that happening? Oh, Michael, people are either going to like me or not like me. And that's my job. I feel like as a consultant, I come in and say an opinion and you either agree or disagree. And that's great because we made a decision. Most of the time from what I see from my experience of working with hundreds of offices is it's typically status and it's typically comparison because they feel if I just double down, I'm not going to be able to get on a podcast and tell people like, yep, just doing my one business over here. Like that office I told you about that's off work every day at three o'clock making like they're killing it. People tell them all the time, like, why don't you open a second location? And they're like, because we love our life. I don't want to have more stress. I don't want to have more psychoticness. I don't want to deal with associates that don't show up for work. I don't want those problems. And so for them, I feel like they're one of the few people I've met that actually realizes what kind of a life they want to be living. And they're committed to that more than committed to comparison. Um, I feel we oftentimes hear other people doing it. So we think like, well, that's what I got to do. Just like, why did I go to college? Like my degree was pointless, but that's like what everybody was doing. So let's go to college. And I feel oftentimes that's the way it is in dentistry of, well, I've got to open a second practice. So figure out why you're doing it. Um, If it's to ultimately sell to a DSO and have a group practice, rock on. If it's because you want to serve your community more and have more opportunities to help people, do that. But if it's because you feel like that's the next step, I might say like, what do you really want in life? Do you want more time? Do you want more money? Because oftentimes opening a second practice means you actually make less money and you have more stress. Mm-hmm. So make sure you really weigh it out and find out why are you doing this and question and challenge yourself on what the why is. But that's what I typically see is it's comparison. It's that they don't know what it is. My practice is doing great. So obviously I should open a second one. And on those, I say, just have some compassion and say, why do you really want to do this? And make sure it's what you really want to do. I, I've often thought like, I'm going to grow to 29 million what the heck? Do I really want that many team members? Like, is that really what I want to do? Why do I want to do that? Because that was a goal someone made up for me a few years ago. Like really challenge and question your why behind it. Because if you are solid on that why, you will have the fuel and motivation to keep going rather than just doing it because you think you should. Yeah. You'll burn yourself out. Yeah, you're right. One thing I wanted to ask you that you mentioned before is you mentioned that your owner and you the time didn't see eye to eye Mm -hmm. and that's what kind of like made the was that one of the main reasons why you left or was it more like a man like we were a team like what is happening like now that money's involved like you're 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 turning on me like what happened yeah so um what I tell everyone is I am beyond thankful for that practice and for that owner because I feel like I got a great education in partnerships and in business ownership and a million other things that I could never have gotten anywhere else. And what I will say is have great contracts with partners uh, from the beginning. We were young. We didn't know what we were doing. We were really good friends. But what she thought and what I thought were becoming two very different things. What we were defining as profit were two different things. And I'm freaking burning out over here and not knowing what the rules of the game were. And so it started to become hard for me to know what I was working towards. And so... I'm burnt out. My marriage is in shambles. I am anorexic. I'm 98 pounds, 5'8". I am being killed off as a human being over here by my own choices. It wasn't her fault. And I wish I would have just had better contracts and because it would have cleared up all the expectations. So that's what I tell a lot of people of like most of the time we have frustration and arguments because expectations aren't clear and they're not being met. So have those candid conversations. Like I think about myself today I don't think I would have been in that same situation because I would have been able to communicate and clear up that confusion with her for sure. Mm. It may have still been the same outcome, but I think we both would have left a lot happier than not. 
Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, yeah. And you know, with contracts comes a lot of like expectations and control. Cause when we're, when we're stressed out, we start to lose our, uh, our feelings of control. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then it's kind of like, well, what did you do that for? And then I guess, you know, things happen. Yeah. Interesting, Kara. Man. So this is basically the story behind getting from <laughs> 500K to 2.4 million in nine months. But it took a lot out of you, Kara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of lessons learned, but how do you feel now? You know, Michael, I feel like I am one of the luckiest people on earth. Uh, I feel so blessed and I didn't always feel this way. Um, it truly, it truly changed perspective when I heard a quote from Tony Robbins where he said, life is happening for you and not to you. And that perspective shift was the change for me because I realized all this is for me. It's not because of anything I've done wrong. Because of that, I feel like I'm a really good consultant. I feel like our team's a really great team for our offices. I have so much more empathy because of what I've gone through. And I feel like I literally get to live my dream of a life. I feel like I'm not always happy. I feel like I have days where I don't, I don't want to keep doing this. But I feel like overall, 80, 90% of my days, I feel like I'm living my dream of a life that I can't believe is real. And I'm so lucky and so blessed to have it. And so that's how I feel. I feel like I can look back and say, oh my gosh, that was so terrible. But I'm like, shoot, that was all for me to make me the best version of me. And so that's how I feel. Uh, And I feel like we all have a choice to decide. And at the end of the day, it's not right or wrong. It's just your story and it's your perspective of what you choose to look through and see. There's red all around us. But if I tell you to look for white, you're only going to see the white and you'll miss all the red around you, even though it's there. And so for me, I choose to see the beauty um, because it's there. And that's what I'd like to focus on. And just be grateful. Like because of those experiences, I can now get on here and share what to do, what not to do. I can help you with your practice and literally give you the shortcut to success to where you can have the great life, you can have the family, you can have whatever beauty you want. We can build it, we can craft it. I've done it hundreds of times successfully. So I know no matter what yours is, we can do it as well. That to me is pure luxury. Like that is amazing. So I feel beyond grateful and thankful that that's the life I get to live and get to share with other people and meet people like yourself because of 500,000 to 2.4 million. I would not be here without that experience. And I wouldn't change my life for anything. Yeah. Wonderful, Kara. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Absolutely, Michael. Thank you. I hope it was helpful. I hope if there's anything I can do to support people, whether it's in-person coaching, whether it's virtual, whether it's a friend, um, you can always find us on our podcast, The Dental Team Podcast. Um, you can also email me hello at thedentalateam.com. I would be more than happy to help you, help your practice. Um, And I was always scared to reach out for help. And guess what? It's not help. You are, in my opinion, taking the shortcut from someone who's been there and done that successfully. And we'll share every single ounce of it with you. Awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. So reach out to Kira. And Kira, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. And we'll hear from you soon. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that episode. And Kira, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We truly appreciate it. Guys, if you want to reach out to her, go in the show notes below. Click on any of our links or you can join the Dental Marketer Society Facebook group. And in there we talk with our guests and, and so many more. And we talk about the episodes as well. Uh, and don't forget, guys, the best way to support the podcast. Just scroll all the way to the bottom of the show notes and click on any of the sponsors links or photos if you want their images. 
And if you want to schedule a free demo, if you need any of their services, they will give you a personalized free demo. And if you like what you're seeing with any of their services or products, mention the podcast or use the links that you see there and you'll get an exclusive deal just for being a listener of the Dental Marketer Podcast. So I truly appreciate your support. Thank you guys for listening and I'll talk to you in the next episode.